Welcome to Subtle Beast, everybody. I'm your host, Foltz. With me, as always, my partner in crime, co-host, Mr. Steve Apostolopoulos. What's going on, brother? I'm, I'm feeling good, Foltz. I'm feeling very merry. Oh, well, yeah. You got a little celebratory in your soul. I do. I feeling do. A little, feeling a little giddy. Yep. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I would have to say that <clears throat> by the time this, ap- this episode comes out, that uh, it's going to be right around the holiday season. Right around Christmas and Hanukkah and all the celebratory moments in December, and uh, you know, subtle beast. I want to. We want to look out for everybody. We want to be able to uh, make sure that amongst this Christmas time or this season, that everything that you're doing with your family and enjoying, that you avoid any type of scam or being conned for any reason. Yeah. Because uh, right around now is when they know people are you know, spending a lot of money, people are... In the giving spirit. Yeah, maybe they're... Maybe not on the they're not on their their A game, so uh, you know Steve and I tonight are going to help you to be able to identify some of the more common uh, cons that the two of us know. Yeah, some of the ones we know and that uh, that we're aware of, and uh, we're going to help you be on the lookout for them. So uh, here we go. So uh, confidence. <clears throat> Let's see. Where do we want to start here? The confidence trick or confidence trick? Yeah. Okay. Is an attempt to defraud a person or group after first gaining their confidence. Used in the classical sense of trust, confidence tricks exploit characteristics of the human psyche, such as your credibility or whether you're too naive, take advantage of compassion, your vanity, your irresponsibility, and greed. Researcher Lindsay Huang and Barack Orbach define the scheme as this distinctive species of fraudulent conduct intending to further voluntary exchanges that are not mutually beneficial. They benefit the con men at the expense of their victims or their marks. Now, the perpetrator for a confidence trick or a con trick is often referred to as confidence or con man con artist or grifter samuel thompson 1821 to 1856 was the original confidence man thompson was a clumsy swindler who had asked his victims to express confidence in him by giving him money or their watch rather than gaining their confidence in a more nuanced way a few people trusted thompson with their money and watches thompson was arrested in july 1849 Reporting about this arrest, Dr. James Houston, a reporter for the New York Herald, publicized Thompson by naming him the Confidence Man. Although Thompson was unsuccessful scammer, he gained reputation as a genius operator, mostly because Houston's satire writing wasn't understood as such. The National Police Gazette coined the term Confidence Game a few weeks after Houston first posed or first used the name Confidence Man. A confidence trick is also known as a con game, a con, a scam, a grift, a hustle, a bunco, a swindle, a flim-flam, a gaffle, a bamboozle. 
The intended victims are known as marks or suckers or stooges or muggus, rubes or gulls, which comes from gullible. When accomplices are employed, they're known as shills. I like that, man. I love the in like the internal lingo. Yeah, I mean, it, it helps with uh, some things you, you might not know. I mean, there's so many terms that fly around in our English language that you really don't know where <clears throat> some of them come from. And some of them come from crime. <laughs> yeah, I would think a lot of them come from crime. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> there's different kinds of cons. There, there's the short and the long con. A short con or a small con is a fast swindle, which takes just minutes. It typically aims to rob the victim of everything in his wallet. A long con or a big con is a scam that unfolds over several days or weeks and involves teams of swindlers, as well as props, sets, extras, costumes, and scripted lines. It aims to rob the victim of huge sums of money or valuable things, often by getting him or her to empty out bank accounts and borrow from family members. That's an elaborate. It, yep. It can be it can be short or long, but uh, typically they're very elaborate. Now, there's different stages of the cons. Now, in Confessions of a Confidence Man, Edward H. Smith lists the six definitive steps or stages of growth of a confidence game. He notes that some steps may be omitted. <clears throat> The foundation work, the preparations are made in advance of the game, including the hiring of any assistance required. The approach, the victim is contacted. There's the build-up. The victim is given an opportunity to profit from a scheme. The victim's greed is encouraged, such that their rational judgment of the situation might be impaired. The payoff or convincer. The victim receives a small payout as a demonstration of the scheme's effectiveness. This may be a real amount of money or faked in some way. In a gambling con, the victim is allowed to win several small bets. In a stock market, in a stock market con, the victim is given fake dividends. The hurrah. A sudden crisis or change of events forces the victim to act immediately. This is, that, this is the point at which the con succeeds or fails. The in and in. A conspirator in on the con, but assumes the role of an interested bystander, puts an amount of money into the same scheme as the victim to add an appearance of legitimacy to the scheme. This can reassure the victim and give the con man greater control when the deal has been completed. In addition, some games require cooperation step, particularly those involving a rare item. This usually includes the use of an accomplice who plays the part of an uninvolved, initially skeptical third party who later confirms the claims made by the con man. Wow. So, yeah, we're just getting started here. The vulnerability to confidence tricks. Now, confidence tricks exploit typical human characteristics, such as greed, dishonesty, vanity, opportunity, lust, compassion, credibility, irresponsibility, desperation, and being naive. As such, there is no consistent profile of a confidence trick victim. The common factor is simply that the victim relies on the good faith of a con artist. Victims of the investment scams tend to show an incautious level of greed and gullibility, and many con artists target the elderly. But even alert and educated people may be taken in by other forms of confidence trick. Researchers Huang and Orbach argue cons succeed for inducing judgment errors. 
chiefly errors arising from imperfect information and cognitive basis. In popular culture and among professional con men, the human vulnerabilities that cons exploit are depicted as dishonesty, greed, and gullibility of the marks. Dishonesty often represents by the expression, you can cheat an honest man, refers to the willingness of marks to participate in unlawful acts, such as rigged gambling and embezzlement. Greed, the desire to get something for nothing, is a shorthand expression of Mark's beliefs that, too good to be true, gains are realistic. Gullibility reflects beliefs that Mark's are suckers or fools for entering into costly voluntary exchanges. Judicial, judicial opinions occasionally echo these sentiments. Accomplices, also known as shills, help manipulate the Mark into accepting the perpetrator's plan. An additional confidence trick, the Mark is led to believe that he will be able to win money or some other prize by doing some task. The accomplice may pretend to be a stranger who have benefited from performing the task in the past. So interesting. That is so, so interesting. Um, so that's just a little uh, synopsis of you know what, what, what a con man is or a confidence man is and a little bit of uh, some of the, the short game, long game, the different cons that they can play. But we're going to get into uh, <clears throat> the list that me and Steve have created from some of the uh, – the cons that we know. So I'm going to let Steve kick that off. You know, growing up in, in our house, we didn't have, we always had this feeling of working hard. Like if you wanted something, you could just work hard for it, go out there and get money. And there was never like that feeling of a grift or like a con. So to me, all of this stuff is, is so interesting because it's a different way of life. Like I know there's con men out there, but I just, and I know, you know, I can feel if I'm getting conned, but it was never something I grew up with, never something that we did it, and it just, I had not a lot of exposure to it. So, this is uh, so interesting to me, and I'm so glad we were able to compile this list. Do you guys do have anything like that, or? What, as far as looking out for con men? As far as, like, someone running a con. Did you ever have, like, uh, someone in your family, an uncle or anything that was like, oh, he'll get, he'll get somebody's money, like... A con man person no, type? No, not really. N nothing that comes to mind right now. Um, I mean, my dad always made us pretty aware of uh, different schemes out there. I mean, in growing up in the in an Italian American family, everything's pretty much tight knit. So when there was, you know, typically outsiders were never around, and they would be, we'd be told to be made aware of them. I mean. I'm sure, like many of our listeners out there growing up, you had like a, a, a code word. If, uh, if a car was like, oh, your parents were in an accident, you have to come with me. It would be like, well, what's the password? Well, ours was always something in Italian. So we knew if they, if they tried to say anything else, we knew not to go with them for any reason. So right, and then that's a con to get you in your car so you can be kidnapped. Yeah, I'm with you on that. We definitely had that. that and also we had... Uh fire escape plans and like places to meet outside and stuff not that that has anything to do with it but. right now i do have a story that i'm gonna that I'll, that I'll share but i'll share it a little later once we get to uh one of the specific cons right on so let's get it let's get it started so let's start off with get rich quick schemes so these are extremely varied these include fake franchises real estate sure things get rich quick books Wealth building seminars, you hear about those coming to town on the radio. Yep. Self help gurus, 
surefire inventions, useless products, chain letters. Like that one kind of, I think, has fallen by the wayside. Chain letters. But you'll get them. You're still getting the, in your email. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't even think about that. Fortune tellers, quack doctors, miracle pharmaceuticals, uh, foreign exchange fraud, Nigerian money scams, and uh, charms and talismans. Uh, variations include the pyramid scheme, the Ponzi scheme, and the matrix scheme. Now, the, pyram- the pyramid scheme is not to be confused with actual companies that offer multi-level marketing. Those are legitimate companies. Um, a pyramid scheme is more or less where everyone's like, okay, everyone put in a dollar, and when you do that, every- all the money's going to go to so-and-so, and next month we're going to do it, and by month five, when everyone g- gives their dollar, all that money's going to come to you. Well, that's a scheme. That- that's illegal. That's an illegal pyramid scheme because you're giving money for no product. I'm with you on that. And the, and it's prevalent. There are pyramid schemes. Oh, there are. I mean, and it, it's just a term. I mean, multi-level marketing, um, I've had lots of experience with in the past. I've always enjoyed it. Um, it ha- it does get a bad rep as being, oh, the pyramid scheme because, you know, it comes. I mean, it's just like anything else. Whoever does the most work is going to get the most reward. I mean, it's just. I'm glad you clarified that because it does sometimes get that negative connotation. It does. It sure does. So this this first one here, the money box scheme. Uh, this one was Victor Lustig, a German con artist. He designed and sold a money box, which he claimed could print hundred dollar bills using blank sheets of paper. A victim sensing huge profits and untroubled by ethical implications would buy the machine for a very high price. Like, that, was a, that was a nice way of saying a criminal. <laughs> right. <laughs> so th- this guy would get anywhere from 25000 to to $100,000 for this box because basically you're able to print off as much money as you want. It wouldn't matter what the cost, really. So Lustig stocked the machine with six to nine genuine $100 bills just for the purpose of demonstration. But after that, it only produced blank paper. But by the time the victims realized that they'd been scammed, Lustig was long gone. That was a good one. I know. I like that one. Really good. Salting. Now, salting or salting the mine are terms for a scam in which gemstones or gold ore are planted in a mine or on the landscape, duping the mark into purchasing shares into worthless or non-existent mining company. During the gold rusher, scammers would load shotguns with gold dust and shoot into the sides of the mine to give the appearance of rich ore, thus salting the mine. That's pretty crazy. It is. Now, the Spanish prisoner. The Spanish prisoner scam and its modern variant, the the advanced fee scam or Nigerian letter scam involves enlisting the mark to aid in retrieving some stolen money from its hiding place. The victim sometimes believes he can cheat the con artist out of their money, but anyone trying this has already fallen for the essential con by believing the money is (coughs) there to steal. Note, the classic Spanish prisoner trick also contains an element of romance. Many conmen employ extra tricks to keep the victim from going to the police. A common ploy of investment scammers is to encourage a mark to use money concealed from tax authorities. The mark cannot go to the authorities without revealing that he has committed tax fraud. 
Many swindles involve a minor element of crime or some other misdeed. The mark is made to think that he will gain money by helping fraud <coughs> fraudsters get huge sums of the of the country. The classic advance fee fraud Nigerian scam. Hence, a mark cannot go to the police without revealing that he planned to commit a crime himself. In a twist on the Nigerian fraud scheme, the mark is told he is helping someone overseas collect debts from corporate clients. Large checks stolen from businesses are mailed to the mark. These checks are altered to reflect the mark's name, and the mark is then asked to cash them and transfer all but a percentage of the funds, his commission, to the con artist. The checks are often completely genuine, except the pay-to-information has been expertly changed. This exposes the mark not only to enormous debt when the bank reclaims the money from his account, but also to criminal charges for money laundering. A more modern variation is to use laser-printed counterfeit checks with the proper bank account numbers and the payer information. Persuasion fraud, when a fraudster persuade people only to target their money, is an old-fashioned type of fraud. That check scheme has been around forever, man. Yeah, uh, that check scheme... Um, along, I, I would say back in like 2006, uh, when... My wife and I, and our, and only we only had two kids at the time. We were living in Myrtle Beach, and uh, one of these Nigerian scammers was tried writing to my wife, and of course she showed me the email, and uh, I was like, "Well, let's have some fun with him." So we played along, and he went as far as to send us the check and everything, and he confirmed with us, "Did you get the check?" "Yep." "Are you going to go to the bank?" "Yep, we're going right now." But we already knew what was up, so we took the check directly to the bank told them what was going on they said that, that it was good that we did that and not tried to cash it we knew and then uh you know then they turned it over to the authorities and let them handle it so i always have to think because i know that happens often where you you can get a large sum of money you have to send them a check to cover the shipping or the processing fee and then they're going to send you a check somehow that is worth way more money than that and none of them have ever worked in in the history if it's too good to be true it probably is exactly here's one called the grandparent scam so a grandparent gets a call or an email from someone claiming to be their grandchild saying that they're in trouble for example the scammer may claim to have been arrested and require money wired or gift cards purchased for bail and asks the victim not to tell the grandchild's parents as they would only get upset. The call is fraudulent, and it's an impersonation. The name of the grandchild typically is obtained from social media postings, as well as obituaries listed either in newspapers or from a funeral home's website. Any money that ever gets wired out of the country is gone forever. Anybody that takes advantage of the elderly, in my book, is a scumbag. Oh, 100%. I mean, come on. It, you don't get much lower than that. Those people work their whole lives for that money. Man. Yeah, and then you're going to be a predator to the people that they love the most. I mean, come on. That's trash. That is. <clears throat> so there's uh, another one is uh, you got to be careful for the, uh, the romance because there's romance scams. The traditional romance scam has now moved into the internet dating sites. The con actively cultivates a romantic relationship, which often involves <clears throat> promises of marriage. However, after some time, it becomes evident that this internet quote-unquote sweetheart 
is stuck in his or her home country or a third country, lacking the money to leave and thus unable to be united with the mark. The scam then becomes an advanced fee fraud or check fraud. A wide variety of reasons can be offered for Trickster's lack of cash, but rather than just borrow the money from the victim, advanced free fraud, the con man normally declares that he has checks which the victim can cash on his behalf and remit the money via non-reversible transfer service to help facilitate the trip. Check fraud. Of course, the checks are forged or stolen, and the con man never makes the trip. The hapless victim ends up with a large debt and an aching heart. This scam can be seen in the movie The Knights of Cabaria. In some cases, online dating site itself is engaged in fraud, posting profiles of fictional persons or persons which the operator knows are not currently looking for a date in the advertised locality. I could see that one working. Yeah, I mean, if you were if you were talking to someone, like you got past the internet part and you're on the phone with them, but they're just you know in a different country, and they tell you, you know, I'm so excited, I'm coming, I'm coming to meet you, like, and I'm leaving tomorrow, and then the day comes when they're leaving, and they leave, and they they're tr- they're you know traveling to wherever you are say you're in the u.s and they're traveling to the u.s and they leave their home country and they get to an intermediate country and they get robbed and they call you and they're like i just traveled for you know 12 hours i landed um i'm in germany i just got robbed i need enough money i have all i have is my id i need you to send wire me money so that i can travel from germany to america well, the first thing you should do in that case is uh, check to see, since you paid for that ticket, to see if he ever boarded the first plane. Because if he never got on the first plane, then he's not where he says he was, so there's lie number one. So you got to catch it. you got to follow up. Listen to what the people are telling you so that you can use it against them. I'm with you, man. Now you, you go ahead and roll with this next one. Okay, this next one is the fortune-telling fraud. One traditional swindle involves fortune-telling. In this scam, a fortune teller uses cold reading skills to detect that a client is genuinely troubled rather than merely seeking entertainment, or is a gambler complaining of bad luck. The fortune teller informs the mark that he is the victim of a curse, and that for a fee, a spell can be cast to remove the curse. In Romania, this trick is called a bouljou bag. After one traditional format, the mark is told that the curse is in his money and he brings money in a bag to have the spell cast over it and leaves the bag and and he leaves that with a bag of worthless paper. Fear of this scam has been one justification for legislation that makes fortune telling a crime. This scam got a new lease on life in the electronic age with the virus hoax. Fake antivirus software falsely claims that a computer is infected with viruses and renders the machine inoperable with bogus warnings unless blackmail is paid. In the Datalink computer services incident, a mark was fleeced over for several million dollars by a firm that claimed that his computer was infected with viruses and that the infection indicated an elaborate conspiracy against him on the internet. 
The alleged scam lasted from August of 2004 to October of 2010 and is estimated to have cost the victim between 6 and $20 million. I'd have been like, just let the scandal out. I mean, dang, so much. Now, whether they were telling the truth or whether they are lying, it obviously goes to show that this man has been involved in a lot of scandals because he paid between 6 and $20 million. I'd just be like, I, I, I can't take anymore. I, yeah, just let it out. Yeah, just go for it. Now, there are gold brick scams. Now, gold brick scams involve selling a tangible item for more than it is worth. They are named after selling the victim an allegedly golden ingot, which turns out to just be a gold-coated lead. Now, green goods scam also known as the green goods game, was a scheme that was popular in the 19th century United States in which people were duped into paying for worthless counterfeit money. <clears throat> it is a variation <clears throat> of another scam using money instead of other goods. The mark or victim would respond to flyers circulated throughout the country by the scammers, which claimed to offer genuine counterfeit currency for sale. This currency was sometimes alleged to have been printed with stolen engraving plates. Victims, usually living outside major cities, <clears throat> would be enticed to travel to the location of the green goods men to complete the transaction. Victims were guided by a steerer to be shown large amounts of genuine currency, represented to be counterfeit, which was then placed in a bag or a satchel. Victims then received offers to purchase the money at a price much less than face value. While a victim negotiated a price or was otherwise distracted, another accomplice, the ringer, would switch the bag of money for a bag containing sawdust, green paper, or worthless items. Victims would leave unaware of the switch and were unwilling to report the crime as attempting to purchase counterfeit currency was itself a crime and the victim accordingly risking arrest. That's crazy. Yeah, it is because they're just as guilty as the other guys. Yeah, so that that's a great one. Now, <clears throat> there's another there's another good one. This is uh this is one of my one of my favorites. Now, the name of the scam, uh you you may be familiar with it with the title of the scam. It was made popular in uh the Chevy Chase European Vacation movie. Um, and that's the, where I've, that's the first time I heard about it. That, I mean, when I saw this as a uh as a scam, it, it made perfect sense because uh <clears throat> It was taking place at the beginning of the movie. They were in a game show, which was kind of kind of rigged, and of course, it was called uh, "The Pig and the Pope." Had that crazy theme song. Yeah. So, uh, while Steve, why don't you uh, give us a little uh, give us a little pig and a poke? I'll, I'll cue that up for you. This is okay. This is the theme song from the the Chevy Chase movie European Vacation. You may remember it now. <laughs> Okay, so yeah, so that might a great one that might have taken you taken you back. So, but here's what that actually is. <clears throat> now, pig and a poke originated in the late Middle Ages. The con entails a sale of what is claimed to be a small pig in a poke or a bag. The bag actually contains a cat, not particularly prized as a source of meat. If one buys the bag without looking inside, the person has bought something of less value than was assumed, and has learned firsthand <clears throat> the lesson caveat. <clears throat> emptor 
Buying a pig in a poke has become a <clears throat> expression in many European languages, including English, for when someone buys something without examining it beforehand. In some regions, the pig in the phrase is replaced by cat, referring to the bag's actual content, but the saying is otherwise identical. This is also said to be where the phrase letting the cat out of the bag comes from, although there may be other explanations. In Portuguese or Spanish-speaking countries, the pig in the phrase is replaced by a hare or a jackrabbit. A victim thinks he is buying a hare when in reality he's buying a cat, hence the expression gado por libre or gado por libre. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You see the difference between the Portuguese and the Spanish here? I mean, I'm just going to clarify. In Portuguese, it's gado por libre, but in Spanish... It's gado por libre. Oh. You see the difference there? It's subtle. Yeah, it's very, very, very (laughs) subtle. Steve. All right. This one's called Thai Gems. The Thai gem scam involves layers of con men and helpers who tell a tourist in Bangkok of an opportunity to earn money by buying duty-free jewelry and having it shipped back to the tourist's home country. The mark is driven around the city in a tuk-tuk, operated by one of the conmen, who ensures the mark meets one helper after another until the mark is persuaded to buy the jewelry from a store also operated by the swindlers. The gems are real, but significantly overpriced. This scam has been operating for 20 years in Bangkok and is said to be protected by Thai police and politicians. A similar scam usually runs in parallel for custom-made suits. Many tourists are hit by con men touting both goods. So there's there's nothing you can do. Because even if it's a crime that you want to say you want to report by the con man, that doesn't uh, implicate yourself. The the police are just going to be, yeah, yeah, they're in on it. Yeah, right. It's Bangkok. Yeah. Now this is now here's one. Uh, if you grew up in uh, the eighties, nineties. You've probably seen this or maybe even participated a little bit. It's all right. You can admit it. The white van speakers. Now, in the white van speaker scam, low-quality loudspeakers are sold, stereotypically from a white van. As expensive units, they have been greatly discounted. The salesman explained that the ultra-low price in number of ways, for instance, that their employer is unaware of having ordered too many speakers, so they sneakily selling the excess behind the boss's back. The speaker men are ready to be haggled down to a seemingly minuscule price because the speakers they are selling, while usually functional, actually only cost a tiny fraction of the list price to the manufacturer. The scam may extend to the creation of websites for bogus brand, which usually sounds similar to that of the respected loudspeaker company. They will often place an ad for the speakers in the for sale classified of the local newspaper at an exorbitant price and then show the mark of the copy this to verify their worth. People shopping for bootleg software, illegal pornographic images, bootleg music, drugs, firearms, or other forbidden or controlled goods may be legally hindered from reporting swindles to the police. An example is a big screen TV in the back of a truck. The TV is touted as hot or stolen, so it will be sold for a very low price. The TV is in fact defective or broken. It may in fact not even be a television at all, since some scammers have discovered that a a suitable decorated oven door will be suffice. The buyer has no... I mean, that's pretty creative. It is. The buyer has no legal recourse without admitting to the attempted purchase of stolen goods. 
I, I got two things on that. First of all, I remember as a child in the 80s, that exact scam, I would be at Coons Park and there would be a guy in a van that sold speakers out of it. And I could never understand how he could sell them so cheap. And I never realized it was a scam until we did this research. Yeah, you get how it would be like a box of bricks. Right. You know, he'd have a speaker or a set of speakers that he would show you and either give you the, the switch or maybe not even a speaker at all. And that was, that was a bogus thing. Secondly, back in that same time period, that same era, I remember going to a mall with my parents and I found this pair of Adidas and they were super cheap. They were like 15 bucks, which was still cheap back then. And I asked my mom, I was telling my mom how much I, I wanted these shoes and I asked her to buy them and she agreed to do it because it was such a low price. So I get them home and I wear them and I thought they were Adidas the whole time. Turns out they had four stripes. Oh, I remember those imposters. They were a complete imposter that I got duped into wanting as a younger person and didn't realize until I wore them a few times. Someone might have even told me, like, you know, those have four stripes. But, you know, it was probably at the age before fashion was... Ah! I mean, I bought them thinking that they had three stripes on them. They were Adidas. Yeah. I, uh, I got one for you here. Okay. This is the bogus dry cleaning bill scam, and I, I could totally see this one happening. Okay. A mail fraud that is typically perpetrated on restaurateurs. This scheme takes a receipt from a legitimate dry cleaner in the target city and duplicates it thousands of times and sends it to every upscale eatery in town. An attached note claims a server in the victim's restaurant spilled food, coffee, wine, or salad dressing on a diner's expensive suit of clothes and demands reimbursement for dry cleaning costs as the amount fraudulently claimed from each victim is relatively low. Some will give the scammers the benefit of the doubt or simply seek to avoid the, the nuance of further action of the nuisance of further action and pay the claim. The scam's return address is a Dropbox. The rest of the contact information is fictional or belongs to an innocent third party. The original dry cleaning bill and the original dry cleaning shop, which has nothing to do with the scheme, receives multiple irate inquiries from victimized restaurants. That seems like one that would probably involve like the, the least risk. I mean, if you're trying to get 14 bucks off of like a thousand people or something. Well, let's just say if you, if, yeah, if you're taking a thousand, you, you duplicated that a thousand times and put it out. Let's just say you get one in 10. You're getting 10 people paying this bill. I mean, it's awful. I wouldn't do it. I'd be like, well, when the people come in and want reimbursed. Right, I'd say you'd have to bring that in here. Uh, yeah, I would be like, okay, and then we're gonna have to talk to the to the waitress or waiter and be like, do we we remember this incident? Because we would have logged it, you know. Imagine though, if you did, you you walk into a restaurant, you got a bill for fourteen dollars. You ask to talk to the manager. You say, hey, I was here last week. Somebody spilled the soup on my lap. I had to get these pants dry cleaned, and here's the fourteen dollar bill. I would think that you could probably con somebody into giving you that money relatively easy. And if you think about like somebody's hourly wage, you could probably pull two of those in an hour. Yeah. 
yeah. mean, you could probably go to four places. Maybe two of them say no. Yeah, I mean, it, you just got to be, for lack of a better term, hustling. Yeah, you got to be. You got to be good at what you do. <clears throat> you ever hear of a clip joint? I have a clip joint or a flesh pot is an establishment, usually a strip club or entertainment bar, typically one claiming to offer adult entertainment or bottle service, in which customers are tricked into paying money and receive poor or no goods or services in return. Typically, clip joints suggest the possibility of interacting with women and charge excessively high prices for watered-down drinks, then eject customers when they become unwilling or unable to spend more money. The product or service may be illicit, offering the victim no recourse through the official or legal channels. I got another one for you called the coin matching game, also called a coin smack or the smack game. Two operators trick a victim during a game where coins are matched. One operator begins the game with the victim, then the second joins in. When the second operator leaves briefly, the first colludes with the victim to cheat the second operator. After rejoining the, the game again, the second operator, angry at losing, threatens to call the police. The first operator convinces the victim to pitch in some hush money, which the two operators later split. Wow. You can do it. But you know what? He's like saying, I'm going to call the police. Well, I'd be like, well, okay, you were involved too. Go ahead and call them. I know, but you were involved too. Once you get involved in that legal thing, it's hard to call the police on yourself. I just run. <laughs> I'd be like, all right, now you got to catch me. Uh, now there's gambling tricks that you got to watch out for. Uh, the Baltimore stockbroker we'll discuss and there's some psychic sports picks now the baltimore stockbroker scam relies on mass mailing or emailing the scammer begins with a large pool of marks numbering ideally a power of two the scammer divides the pool into two halves and sends all the members of each half a prediction about the future outcome of the event with a binary outcome such as a stock price rising or falling or the win-loss outcome of a sporting event one half receives a prediction that the stock price will rise or a team will win, and the other half receives the opposite prediction. After the event occurs, the scammer repeats the process with the group that received a correct prediction, again dividing the group in half and sending each half new predictions. After several times, the surviving group of marks has received a remarkable sequence of correct predictions, whereupon the scammer then offers these marks another prediction, this time for a fee. The next prediction is, of course, no better than the random guess, but the previous record of success makes it seem to the mark to be a prediction worth great value. For gambling propositions with more than two outcomes, for example in horse racing, the scammer begins with a pool of marks with a number equal to the power of number of outcomes and divides the marks at each step into the corresponding number of groups, thus ensuring that one group receives a correct prediction at each step. This requires a large number of marks, and at the beginning, but fewer steps are required to gain the confidence of the marks who receive successful predictions because the probability of a cor correct prediction is lower at each step and thus seems more remarkable. I've definitely uh, heard people recruiting for this one. Definitely. There's uh, like taped people that are like, hey, I'm, I'm, I know how to pick sports and for my picks, dial this number or fi you know, find me at this website and then you go there and they've got their picks 
And I never knew that's how the scam worked. They just, they give an equal amount of people the opposite picks and then just keep going with the group that they've given the right picks to until they gain their trust. Yeah. Did you see the uh, the movie? I believe it was with uh, Will Smith. He was a con man. And he was playing uh, opposite of, uh, oh, who's the girl that plays, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the wife in uh, The Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, okay. I don't know her name. Yeah, but yes. beautiful woman, uh, but uh, he's a con man. And they go to the sporting event where they're up in, uh, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the movie, I can't tell you the name because I can't remember it, but they go up into uh, you know, a skybox. Yeah, skybox. And there's a guy up there who's a compulsive gambler, uh, an Asian guy, and he wants to bet on anything. And Will Smith takes a bet, I think, in the hundreds of thousands of dollars that uh, he can guess who this Asian gentleman is going to pick out of the entire stadium. And uh, he's able to do it. Well, it turns out that all week they had to be like showing pictures of this guy without this guy like really knowing it was getting into his subconscious. They were playing music to him. They were they, the number of the jersey the guy selected was being shown to him all week long. That number was being programmed into his head so that ultimately his subconscious would want to pick that guy, and it worked. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing how the human psyche can be tricked into these little cons. It is. I mean, sometimes your brain can be played just like a fiddle. There you go. Which leads us into our next one, the fiddle game. The fiddle game uses the pigeon drop technique. A pair of con men work together, one going into an expensive restaurant in shabby clothes, eating and claiming to have left his wallet at home, which is nearby. As collateral, the con man leaves his only worldly possession the violin that provides his livelihood. After he leaves, the second con man swoops in, offers an outrageously large amount, let's say $50,000, for what he calls a rare instrument, then looks at his watch and runs off to an appointment, leaving his card for the mark to call him when the fiddle owner returns. The poor man comes back, having gotten the money to pay for his meal and redeem his violin. The mark, thinking he has an offer on the table from the second conspirator, then buys the violin from the fiddle player, who reluctantly agrees to sell it for a certain amount that stills allow the mark to make a profit from the valuable violin. The result is the two con men are richer, less the cost of the violin, and the mark is left with a cheap instrument. Oh, I'd be so furious. That just goes to show, don't be greedy. Well, yeah, I mean, I, that's just a, that seems like a great way to make somebody part with their money. Yeah. That's just an old-fashioned con right there. It is. Uh, what about, what goes on in the lottery? So, lottery fraud by proxy. Lottery fraud by proxy is a scam in which the scammer buys a lottery ticket with old winning numbers. He or she then alters the date on the ticket so that it appears to be from the day before, and therefore a winning ticket. He or she then sells the ticket to the mark, claiming it is a winning ticket, but for some reason he or she is unable to collect the prize. Like, for example, they're not eligible. The particular cruelty in this scam is that if the mark attempts to collect the prize, the fraudulently altered ticket will be discovered and the mark will help, will be held criminally liable. Unreal. So this con, uh, a twist on this con 
was shown in the great teacher Anazuka, where the more than gullible Anazuka was tricked into getting a winning lottery ticket. The ticket wasn't altered, but the daily newspaper reporting the day's winning numbers was altered with a black pen. Very clever. Yeah, it is. In the USSR, this scam left three people dead in 1977. After a mark resold a fraudulent ticket, the second buyer engaged a criminal to clear up the issue, leading to the murder of the original mark and two of his family members. The investigations using a fake lottery uncovered a large group of marks all targeted by a single artist. A disgruntled former employee of the Mint who used his insider knowledge and skills to produce high-quality forged tickets. Well, well, well. <clears throat> well, I mean, what people need to remember is that, yeah, I mean, you, you hear the term uh, grifter. So you think of this guy, maybe he's all dirty, uneducated, but that's not the case, especially in this day and age with the new confidence man or con man that's out there. It's a very, very sharp-looking, very, very intelligent person, man or woman, that knows their craft in and out. So even, quote-unquote, the smartest of people can be taken for a ride because these people are professionals, just like you're a professional in your job, and you think that you know everything. These people know what they're doing. So, uh, yeah, you got to be very, very careful. Now, this next one, everyone's probably quite familiar with. It's called Three Card Money, or Find the Queen, or The Three Card Trick, or Follow the Lady. Is essentially the name as the century's oldest shell game. The trickster shows three playing cards to the audience, one of which is a queen, the lady, then places the cards face down, shuffles them around, and invites the audience to bet on which one is the queen. At first, the audience is skeptical, so the shill places a bet, and the scammer allows him to win. In one variation of the game, the shill will apparently, uh, Sarah, Sarah, so what is that? Sarah repetitiously peek at the lady. So he was just peeking, ensuring that the mark also sees the card. This is sometimes enough to entice the audience to place bets, but the trickster, the trickster uses sleight of hand to ensure that he always loses, unless the con man decides to let him win, hoping to lure him into uh, betting much more. The mark loses whenever the dealer chooses to make him lose. So they control it. Yeah, so uh, this actually, I've actually seen this in play. Uh, me and uh, me and Steve's very good friend, uh, Mr. Evan Jones, shout out to Evan Jones. Evan Jones. was uh, He and I were driving cross country <clears throat> many, many years ago, and we were spending the night in San Francisco, and we we're just walking around, and there's some guys out there playing three-card money. So we start watching, and... Uh, we start to see that maybe, maybe this guy that's uh, doing three card money is not very good because he's shuffling the he's uh, you know he's shuffling his cards back and forth trying to hide the queen, and from time to time something or his card one of the cards would fall off the table. Now his shill would reach in real quick while the guy was picking up something off the ground, find which one was the queen, and kind of like mark the ear real quick. So 
everyone would think, okay, now we know the queen. So people were betting. and be, I mean, <laughs> even our friend Evan, he threw 60 bucks down and got taken for a ride because they're both in on it. So when the guy <laughs> comes up, he notices the, the, the eared card and he cups it in his hand and probably replaces it with another card. But you know what? I'm not slamming Evan because I got drawn in too. And I was like, I know which one it is. And luckily, he recognized the hustle before I did because I was about to throw down 60 bucks. And he came up and grabbed me by my shoulder. I was like, Foltz, don't do it. I was like, oh, Jones, I know which one it is. It's right there in the middle. He's like, Foltz, it's not. He was like, don't put the 60 bucks down. He was like, I got burned. He explained it to me. He was like, if I'm wrong, he was like, do the next one. Just stand back and watch. And I did. He was right. Now, I didn't get burned on the 60. He did. Fast forward, we're walking around late night downtown San Francisco, and we run into these guys. And we're like, <laughs> hey, you guys took our 60 bucks. Blah, blah, blah. Well, they took off. You know what I mean? But good hustle they got on the tourists there they got the hustle going i've never actually seen a, a game of three card monty you always hear about it you see it in movies yeah like a guy on the south cardboard like up well that's what drew us in because it's just like oh man it's kind of like watching like the back scenes of like new jack city or something yep and then and then they get they draw you in and they get you sure now in today's age we got to worry about fake antiviruses so computer users unwittingly download and install rogue security software malware disguised as antivirus software by following the messages which appear on their screen the software then pretends to find multiple viruses on the victim's computer removes quote-unquote a few and asks for payment in order to take care of the rest they are then linked to a con artist's website, professionally designed to make their bogus software appear legitimate, where they must pay a fee to download the full version or the antivirus software. That's crazy. They, I've been hit with that one kind of in a way. It wasn't on the on the on the scale that I had to pay like a a ransom or anything to have 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 my files released, but. Uh, yeah, I was on the computer one day and this thing comes up that uh, you're infected with all these. And, you know, quite honestly, at first it, it caught me by surprise. I was like, oh, wow. But, you know what? Just thinking, I thought the very first thing I should do is I, I called my wife and I was like, is our antivirus up to date? And, yeah, and I explained the situation. She was just like, just turn the computer off. And I did. And that was the end of it. Oh, that's so, you're so lucky that that yeah. was the end. But, you know, like we were saying previously in the podcast where they set up these legitimate websites that look look right because they had sent one to me. I clicked on it. It looked professional. It had like all these breakdowns of different payments that you could make and stuff. Wow. Yeah, man. They're thorough. And they're always fishing for information, which brings us to our next one, phishing, a modern scam in which the artist communicates with the mark, masquerading as a representative of an official organization with which the mark is doing business in order to extract personal information, which can then be used, for example, to steal money. In a typical instance, the artist sends the mark an email, pretending to be from a company such as eBay. It is formatted exactly like email from that business and will ask the mark to verify some personal information at the website to which link is provided in order to re reactivate his blocked account. The website is fake, but designed to look exactly like business website. The site contains a form asking for personal information, such as credit card numbers, which the mark feels compelled to give or lose all access to service. When the mark submits this form without double checking the website address, the information is sent to the swindler. Th th these people just tried to get me this week. I was telling Stephen pre-show 
that uh, got a couple emails that my Apple ID had been uh, what stolen or infiltrated or whatever word they use. Right. And uh, I knew it was a scam right away because uh, right above that, emails that came in after that one were letting me know that uh, some subscriptions that I have that I paid with with my Apple ID just came through. So, I mean, and they're very, very good. I mean, the, the email address looks almost like what? Apple Supply or whatever. Right, yeah. They're it's crafty. Got like, it's got one dot different than what it would really be. And they are very convincing at times. So this one right here is called The Big Store. The Big Store is a technique for selling the legitimacy of a scam and typically involves a large team of con artists and elaborate sets. Often a building is rented and furnished as a legitimate and substantial business. The betting parlor set up in The Sting, the movie The Sting, is an example. In 2014, a rural cooperative in Nanjing, China, constructed an entire brick-and-mortar fake bank with uniformed clerks behind the counters. The unlicensed bank operated for a little over a year, then defaulted on all its obligations, swindling Chinese savers out of over $200 million. That's probably my favorite one. I know, dude. To build the entire bank? I mean... It's reminiscent because I have to think, I mean, there was a lot of people involved and you needed, first of all, you needed capital investment. It came from a criminal empire. It almost rem- reminds me of like Ocean's Eleven yeah. when they always needed the capital to be able to pull this because you need all the tools and everything. What an elaborate, what an elaborate hoax. Um, Why well, you always got to watch out for the infamous uh, fake casting agent scam. Now, in this scam, the confidence artist is POTUS as a casting agent or modeling agency. You can see these all the times when you're in your mall, they're asking you to fill this thing out because your son or daughter is going to be the next, uh, you know. Get your headshots. Yeah. And they're always searching for new talent. The aspiring model is told that he will need a portfolio or cop card. The mark will pay an upfront fee to have photos and create his portfolio, after which he will be sent on his way in the hope that his agent will find him work in the following weeks. Of course, he never hears back from the confidence artist. So, oh, geez. So where are we at here? The phony job offer. Go for it. Uh, This one, I'll just explain a little bit. I'm not going to read it the whole way through it. This one basically is just a phony job offer where it's either emailed to you or posted in a a local paper. They bring you in. They give you an interview. uh, They tell you how great of a job you did at the interview, and they want to give you the job that you've been selected And then you start to go through it. You're doing your paperwork to get set up. They want to take you to the next step in the hiring process. And they they tell you that the only way that they pay is by direct deposit. So you have to give them your bank account information and your social security just to get your file up to date. And the next thing you know... Your bank accounts Boom. wiped out, which is pretty typical in today's age because there are a lot of companies that do just direct deposit. They're cutting out those paper checks because it's just another expense. So you wouldn't really know any different other than you need to research these companies that you're going in for job interviews. Right. They're fly-by-nighters. Check the Better Business Bureau. See how these people rank. Now, you got rental scams too. An apartment is listed for rent often on an online forum such as Craigslist at or just below market value. 
the vendor asks for first and last month's rent up front, sometimes also asking for references or personal information from the prospective tenants. The rent payment clears the bank. The new tenants arrive with a truckload of worldly possessions on moving day to find that the same unit has been rented to multiple other new tenants and that the supposed landlord is not the owner of the property and is nowhere to be found. This kind of scam is often performed online on students planning to study abroad and seeking accommodation as their means of checking the property are limited. That one's brutal. Oh, it's so brutal. Because you're showing up there with your truck filled with your stuff and then there's other people there you'd be like oh my gosh everyone must be moving in today oh it looks like it's moving day i hope they're not up on the second <laughs> floor oh they're in my apartment yeah well, uh, we're the new people in apartment uh 4f how so are we <laughs> <laughs> that's messed up that is this one the wedding planner scam the wedding planner scam preys on the vulnerability of young couples during a time when they're at their most distracted and trusting to embezzle funds for the planner's personal use. In the first type of fraud, the wedding planner company may offer a free wedding in a tie-up with a media station for a couple in need of charity and collect the donations from the public that were meant for the wedding. In a second type of fraud, the planner asks couples to write checks to vendors, for example, to get tents, or food, or the cake, but leave the name field empty, which the planner promises to fill in. As most vendors were never hired nor paid, the scam would then be exposed on the day of the wedding. So brutal. A real-life example is a Kansas TV station story of a wedding planner, Caitlin Hirschberger, who scammed three couples through her wedding planner consultancy, Live, Love, and Be Married, using these two schemes. Oh, man. I'll tell you what. If God forbid that was one of my children that would have got taken all their money for their wedding, there'd be a... There'd be a, on their wedding day. I mean, there'd be a different story. It wouldn't be live, love, and be married. It would be track down, kidnap, and torture. <laughs> That's <laughs> like breaking into somebody's house and taking the presents from under the tree. Well, these people are heartless. They I mean, are. I mean, they, they don't even stop as far as having scams that include blessings. They target elderly Chinese immigrant women, convincing them that an evil spirit threatens their family and that this threat can be removed by a blessing ceremony involving... Now, get this, a bag full of their savings, jewelry, and other valuables. Now, during the ceremony, the con artist switches the bags of valuables with an identical bag with values, contents, and make off with the victim's cash or jewelry. Oh, just, it's the sleight of hand, the old switcheroo. Yeah, heartless. Take us take us home with this one, Steve. This one, uh, we'll make this one the last example here. Yeah. It's called the pay up or be arrested scam. Uh, This scam is perpetrated through the phone where the caller threatens the victim with a fictitious arrest warrant to make this threat seem real. The caller ID identifies the caller as that of the local sheriff. Victims are told they must pay a fine to avoid arrest. Fines are in the hundreds, sometimes thousands of dollars. The payment is requested through Western Union green dot prepaid card or similar similar forms of untraceable currency exchange uh cases have been reported in florida georgia kansas and oregon my wife got this call one time and it was just that it was she was in trouble it was some sort of 
scam and I ended up Googling the phone number, finding it, finding it down in Texas and getting it to the, the building that it was in. And she was at one point fearful. She contacted a friend of hers that was uh, law enforcement and he said the same thing I did. So having her husband and a good friend of her in law enforcement backing her up, she just stopped all contact with the person. Well, you have to because... Once they're once they're in your life, they're they're tough to get rid of. I agree. I think what we should do real quickly before we, uh, before we wrap up for the evening, let's go through like there's a nice list of some of the more famous uh, con artists, uh, con men, con uh, con women um, within like the last you know 19th century and up to now. Absolutely. Uh, now uh, there's a, there's a Canadian woman by the name of uh, Cassie Chadwick who defrauded banks out of millions by pretending to be the illegitimate daughter and heir of Art Andrew Carnegie. Oh. I mean, multi-millionaire billionaire. We had uh, Eduardo Di Valfierno, an Argentine con man who posed as a marquee and allegedly masterminded the theft of the Mona Lisa in 1911. I, that's crazy. I mean... It, there's no way it could be done today. The theft of the Mona Lisa. Unless you're really good. I challenge you. <laughs> <laughs> there was a guy named uh, Canada Bill Jones. Now, he's he's credited uh, with being the, the king of the three-card Monty, uh, and he died in 1880. Victor Lustig, um, we had brought up before, born in Bohemia, which is today's Czech Republican, and known as the man who sold the Eiffel Tower twice. Look that story up. Yeah. Uh, William McClowney, convicted of selling the Brooklyn Bridge to a tourist, as well as George C. Parker, and this one is back in 1936 he died, a U.S. con man who sold New York monuments to tourists, including, most famously, the Brooklyn Bridge, which he sold twice a week, for years. Amazing. <laughs> the people could actually think that they could buy the Brooklyn Bridge. I mean, if you were going to break it down and say, hey, you know, there's, uh, you can buy shares in it, you know, many shares equal this bridge and get your lawyer involved. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Charles Ponzi. I mean, you, uh, you ever hear of that guy? Oh, yeah. Ponzi scheme is a get rich fast fraud. Named after him, Charles Ponzi. So that's where it comes from. He was born 1882, died in 1949. They probably even thought that his funeral was a Ponzi scheme. <laughs> Soapy Smith, guy from 1860-1898. Uh, Jefferson Randolph Smith II organized Bunko and Crime Boss in Denver and Creed, Colorado and Skagway, Alaska in the 1880s and 1890s. William Thompson. He was a U.S. criminal whose deceptions caused the term confidence man to be coined. Now, here's some people from the 20th century. Those are all 19th century scam artists. Harry Jelinek, in, from 1905 to 1986, was a Czechoslovakian con artist alleged to have sold the Karlstein Castle to American industrialists. Imagine that moving day. You think you're going into the castle. Yeah, you think you got a real piece of uh, world history there, but you end up with nothing. David Hampton, uh, born in 1964, died in 2003. 
was an American actor and an imposter who posed as Sidney Portier's son, David, in 1983, which inspired a play and a film, Six Degrees of Separation. Very interesting. Edgar LaPlante died in 1944, claimed to be Chief White Elk, stole from aristocratic European women and gave away large quantities of money in cash, presented to Mussolini as visiting foreign dignitary. Hmm. Riley Shepard, born in 1918, died in 2009, country musician who used numerous pseudonyms to break terms of his recording contracts and defraud investors. Imagine that. You got a record contract, but you don't want to be even part of it, so you just change your name. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Lou Pearlman. I've heard of that one, Lou Pearlman. Yeah, very famous. 1954 to 2016, former boy band impresario, convicted for perpetrating a large and long-running Ponzi scheme. He was probably involved with like new kids on the block and stuff Pro- like that. I mean, I would think that, yeah, the, that would be the time era from there. Reed Slatkin, uh, born in 1949, died in 2015, was an American investor who co-founded the Earthlink. And Alan Conway, 1934 to 1998, American con man, best known for impersonating film director Stanley Kubrick. Interesting. I've seen some film. I've seen some stuff from Stanley uh, Kubrick. Yeah, I have too. Now we have some. Uh, cons that are still alive now for example we have frank ab abnegale jr u.s check forger and imposter turned fbi consultant his autobiography was made into a movie catch me if you can you like that movie steve it is my favorite <laughs> i'm a huge leo fan <laughs> now about abagnale abagnale i knew you would know it impersonated <laughs> a pan am pilot a doctor a lawyer a teacher to illegally make over 2.5 million dollars we have Alia Dia, a Senegal semi-professional footballer, duped the manager of the Premier League team Southampton, designing him after posing as a world player of the <coughs> world player of the year, George Weah, in a phone call in which he gave himself a fake reference. Imagine that getting signed to a major league sports be team. Oh man, I'd be so nervous. <laughs> There's a man by the name of Mark Dreyer. He is the founder of an attorney firm, Dreyer LLP, convicted of selling approximately $700 million worth of fictitious promissory notes and other crimes. What other crimes would you need if you sold $700 million worth Yeah, I think after that, I'd be like, you know what? I think I'm going to go legit. (laughs) Yeah. Robert Hendy Freeguard, Brighton, who kidnapped people for impersonating an M1... Five MI5. Agent, MI5 agent and con them out of money. We got James Arthur Hogue, U.S. imposter who's most famously entered Princeton University by posing as a self-taught orphan. Dude, if you can con your way into Princeton, you're good. Yeah. Stephen Coons is a former television screenwriter convicted for forgery, grand theft, and false use of financial information. He attempted to sell a fake interview with J.D. Salinger to People Magazine. Now, here we go. This is the guy. This is the one. Mr. Bernard Madoff, former American stockbroker and non-executive chairman of the NASDAQ stock market, who admitted to the operation of the largest Ponzi scheme in history. And he, 
made off with your money bernie madoff man me and steve we actually met some of the victims we might have said this on another podcast i don't know if we did but uh yeah we were at a we were at a concert a couple summers ago and uh this married couple came up was hanging out with us and 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 the wife of the couple was explaining how her parents were victims of bernie madoff and basically lost everything it was just like wow to actually meet somebody and actually hear you know firsthand they kept giving more and more that was their thing right right so well our list isn't complete yet we have matt the knife he's an american-born con artist card cheating pickpocket who from the ages of approximately 14 through 21 built dozens of casinos corporations and at least one mafia crime family now there's a brave man taking on the mafia yeah now we got ruby kernawan a wine connoisseur and collector pulled off the biggest wine scan scam in history famously consigned several lots of close denis from domaine ponceau from vintages long prior to any record production of ponceau wines from that vineyard Love your pronunciation there, Fultz. I, I never understood buying vintage bottles of wine. I know they can get a bunch of money for them, but you always hear the story where somebody paid huge, an exorbitant amount, $700 for a bottle. When they open it, it tastes like vinegar. You can find on YouTube, there's people that think that they're real big connoisseurs of wine. They end up picking the $6 bottle of wine every I know, time. Man. I know. <clears throat> Richard Allen Minsky, he scammed female victims. <clears throat> for sex by pretending to be jailed family members over the phone. What a sick individual. Then we got our last one, Dronvalo Melchizedek, an American author who scams people by pretending to have access to special knowledge by channeling the god of Egyptian mythology, Toth. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's why I, 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 we had to end with that one because that's right up our alley. So yeah, a little bit different format tonight than what you're used to but uh man i'll tell you what steve's had this podcast in the works probably since way back in uh season one at the beginning he's been wanting to do the con man for so long we've been trying to work it in because we've just been bombarded with information so we got it in it's it's a it's an intriguing concept and it's it's part of like the part of us that does like uh DuPont and just brings out like public service addresses like hey these are the cons that are going on out there and just to think about it and listen to it on the show makes you kind of more aware of it especially during this this season of hustle and bustle where you you may have maybe more cash on you than you usually would and there's people out there that might not be on the up and up so I'm glad we got to cover it it's a subtle beast PSA yeah exactly so well, I had fun and like like Steve was saying uh we love our fans so very much and we wanted to be able to put a show together for you around these times we know that you're all too smart to fall for these things but look out for people in your family uh you know the the elders your grandparents and all that make sure that nobody's trying to take advantage of them so that everyone can just have a uh, a happy a healthy and a very safe <coughs> and fun holiday season steve anything else you want to add 
Oh, I'm just thankful for being able to do this, Fultz. I, I really appreciate everyone that takes the time to listen to us and, and helps us to continue to do this because it's something I truly love, and I know that you share that feeling with me. Absolutely. So don't uh, don't worry. After these holidays are over, uh, Subtle Beast is going to be blasting into 2020 with all kinds of crazy information, events, and things that you're going to want to want to check out and probably be a part of. But until we get to that point, I'm Fultz. And I'm Steve. And we'll see you next time. Take care of one another. Bye-bye. Mm.